welcome to World Changes, a podcast exploring the trends making an enduring mark on our world of work and how business leaders, HR teams and internal communicators can stay one step ahead. 18 months of COVID-19 related anxiety, a looming threat of climate devastation, political fractions and the rumblings of war. Never have we all felt so vulnerable at the same time. It's an existential crisis on a global scale and a fascinating anthropological study. So, what does a chronic feeling of vulnerability do to us? Recognising our response to risk and helping people address it can give us the tools to banish the burnout that comes with chronic and sustained stress. But how can we do that in the face of so many threats and challenges? Who has the responsibility of even taking on that task? And where do you start? My colleague, cultural anthropologist Dr. Alice Capood, chose this theme as his world changer for our 2021 reports. Later in the episode, I chat with Janet Lessels, Senior Internal Communications Manager at SGN, to get her views on creating an environment where employees feel safe to speak up. But before that, our colleague Lindsay Kohler, Lead Behavioural Scientist, joined Alex and me to talk self and safety. Guys, welcome to World Changers. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here. So Alex, you talk in the report about lots of different types of stress. Those sudden short stresses versus really prolonged and chronic stressful situations. And I think it's probably safe to say that we found ourselves in the latter since March 2020, although maybe, maybe not so much anymore, hopefully, cross fingers. But what kind of impact does that have on us as humans? Well, it's such a big question, Al, and I think you know, even as we, even as we're talking about this, when when we say March twenty twenty, and I think about when we were writing this last year, I I think the prediction would have been that we're in a very different place now than we actually are, and I think it's one of those interesting ones where I wonder and I fear actually, I, to be honest, I think there's going to be a lot of research and insight that follows this because we still don't really know the long term effects of what COVID is doing to us mentally socially, you know, questions of are we are people going back to offices, what is hybrid work, all these questions are still kind of on hold in a sense it feels. But I think one of the interesting things that I'm seeing is I wonder if we're, I guess this is, this is kind of my spidey senses tinkling, I wonder if we're getting to numb to some of the vulnerability that we might have felt a year ago, right? When all this was a bit fresh and we kind of thought the end was around the corner, you know, there's so much excitement, there's a lot of anticipation, but actually if you think about it, we're just kind of used to more delays, right? Whether that's whatever an organization's hybrid working announcements are, their arrangements, or you know the latest travel restrictions changing, etc. We're just kind of you know, a bit numb, I think. And I think it'll be interesting to see the long-term kind of effects of mental health and well-being that follow on from that. I, I think numbness is a really interesting angle to pick up on, Alex. Um, so I'll just in a moment of psychological safety, which we can define in a moment. In the spirit of being vulnerable, I had mentioned that I was feeling something very similar to that to our managing director the other day. I was saying I was kind of fresh out of ideas. And, you know, in the pandemic, when, you know, we didn't have anything else to look forward to that wasn't really work-related, we had to create things to look forward to kind of professionally since social was cut off to us that I had the inspiration and the energy and the time, but now that the world has opened back up, it hasn't opened back up, I felt that drain away. And what I thought was burnout, I think Alex is actually like a bit of a numbness. And I think, you know, we've talked about how the great resignation might be just around the corner. And I think 
those organizations that, that practice the psychological safety where we can be really vulnerable and have this vulnerable conversation are going to be better placed to keep their people because if, if I don't feel like I can be honest about how I'm feeling that, you know, there'll be repercussions or, you know, I'll be let go or, you know, something negative will happen as a consequence for me showing up authentically, then I would just leave. So I think a lot of people are going to be wanting to have these conversations, Alex, around this sense of numbness. And you you can't do that perhaps in every organization. Yeah. I think it's also important, Lindsay, kind of, you know, one thing you're bringing up is that A, employers are aware of that feeling, right? And I think giving people both the language and the space as well as the tools, I mean, that's a massive part of, of being vulnerable, having an authentic workplace, and all of that obviously folds into psychological safety. I, I have a feeling that a lot of people are feeling something, but being able to put it into words of what we're feeling, that being numb to danger or you know just frustrated or feeling fresh out of ideas, I think it's it, a lot of it's getting categorically grouped as burnout, but I think there's something more complex going on that we need to tease out and nuance and will in the coming months. But also, I think as we do that, yeah, employers are going to have to create that space and use that language and maybe be more proactive in that as opposed to being reactive and saying, okay, yeah, your well-being is important. Come to us if there's a problem as opposed to how do we start the conversation? Or or to say, oh my gosh, we've just had seven people resign in a month. Like, do we need to talk about this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so true. I think numbness absolutely hit the nail on the head for me. I think we were in a place where during the very heightened moments of that chronic stress in the pandemic, we were very, very comfortable with being vulnerable with each other. And I think for me, I've definitely noticed that shift And I think that people have started to slightly put back on that brittle veneer of coming back to the office and and a little bit of that awful word polish. And I've noticed a shift, a slight shift backness. And I wonder if the numbness is setting in now we're back face to face and you, you get those amazing interpersonal interactions but actually sometimes that can breed in the wrong way because you've you've lost the vulnerability that we all had from the shared experience maybe. I think the other part going on there is when we were vulnerable before we were talking about anxiety and uncertainty but now when the vulnerability is something that impacts your commitment to your career now it feels like a psychologically unsafe topic for the workplace. Anxiety felt safe, uncertainty felt safe, me going to the MD and saying, I'm fresh out of ideas because I'm just like numb, you know, can you accept business as usual? Well, all of a sudden that's left safe because we're talking about our ability to do our work. And, you know, psychological safety is traditionally defined as the ability to show your true self without fear of negative consequences on how others view you, but most importantly, how others view your career. So if I were to go around the company, which I guess I just have because I'm on this podcast and say, I'm numb, I'm out of ideas. Can you accept a business as usual for me for three months? Well, that's a different ballgame than me saying, yeah, I'm feeling anxiety due to uncertainty from COVID. It's, I mean, Alex, I, I don't know what you think, but I think that's what changes the conversation from something that's safe to something that's maybe treading on unsafe waters. I think that's a massive one, Lindsay. And I think maybe we all just need a break, you know, and maybe that's a big part of it, of actually just having that time to reset and recharge. Hopefully when things are kind of quote unquote back to whatever new normal is, you know, so that we can actually have that time to socialize and get stimulation from other other sources beyond our living rooms or what we see online or 
I think, I mean, you're on to some massive things there because that, that link to performance, that link to our, our world of work. To me, another aspect of psychological safety and mental well-being, kind of this, this nexus, if you will, is also the boundaries issue. You know, our own personal boundaries of what's, what's personal to us, what's, what's work-related. I think whenever we come into these conversations about psychological safety and authenticity and vulnerability, it blurs the line because the line's artificial, right? When when you were talking earlier, it had me thinking about you know these theories about onstage and offstage personalities. L. So when we're back in the office, we feel very on stage, whereas if we're sitting at our dining room table or our our sofa doing work in our own living room in a place that is safe, that kind of is home and personal. Actually, those lines get blurred. So what what roles we perform kind of get messy there. So I think there's a yeah there's a couple things going on. Um, Lindsay, I, I think yeah in, when it comes to that sort of being honest and being vulnerable, it's one of those ones where I think we were we were all able to talk about anxiety and feeling depressed or down during the pandemic, partly because I think we all felt it acutely. I think there's probably a novelty to it as well. If this is all new. We're all feeling something and we can explore it. I think it's, I think you're right to flag that it's something that is a bit risky. But I mean, when I think about what you're saying, I kind of feel a similar thing. You know, it might be different degrees, but in terms of feeling that, ooh, I feel a little bit worn out. I kind of feel like I need a refresher, need a break. Don't know if I have that creativity that I used to. I wonder if actually a lot of us feel that. Mm. And again, maybe that's a sign of something bigger. And whether or not we actually feel safe enough to say that, as you did, Lindsay, and as I followed suit. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I tend to think that if, if a few people are feeling something, there's something to it. I'm not one of these people that looks at a statistical anomaly and sees it as a statistical anomaly. As an anthropologist, I, I, think, I see it as a sign of something bigger. Well, and I think, Alex, you and I have a very interesting extra layer of psychological safety, which... I think is allowing us to dissect this a bit different. And so for those of you listening, Alex and I are Americans. So our ability to stay in this country is actually tied to a job. So when you feel uncertainty at work or just uncertainty in general, you know, there's now an extra layer for some of us and for, you know, a lot of people after Brexit too, that maybe they don't have the resettlement status yet. So now you've got a whole swath of people who were going through all this anxiety together, this uncertainty, this psychological safety. And then there's, you know, a large portion of people that that have deportation on their shoulders as well, which just adds a whole nother really interesting layer into the mix where Mm -hmm. you have to tell yourself, you, you have to ask yourself, how much do I trust my employer? And I feel confident and thankful enough that I can trust our leadership team that I know I can say how I'm feeling truthfully and their reaction isn't going to be, well, get out of the business, you know, get on the next plane to America. Their reaction is going to be, how can we help? What can we do differently? But the level of trust that you have to have to have that conversation is totally about psychological safety and it's, it's next level. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know how many of you have, you know, people on your team that are on visas, but if they're not British, chances are there some sort of visa or some sort of stipulation, you know, on their ability to stay in the country. So think about that too. Mm-hmm. I would have never thought about it until I was an immigrant, but now I think about it. And you did make such an interesting point on boundaries as well, Alex. And I think there is definitely a piece of work to define your own boundaries at work, at home, and personal relationships that I didn't realise was so important until I got older and started 
you know, when people cross a boundary, sometimes you don't even know it's a boundary until they cross it, right? It's an unusual thing to think of in life, really. I've definitely been reflecting on that more recently. What do you think the kind of absence of those boundaries can do with psychological safety or chronic stress? I think that's a great question, Elle. And I think this is, this for me is actually one of why hybrid working is really such a mixed bag. Because I'm a big believer that there's a part of us, I think, that needs that spatial separation, for example, right? When I work from home three days a week, I'm working at the same table where I eat my dinner. Same seat, actually, you know? And and having, needing that kind of compartmentalization to my day, knowing that, hey, you know, between half eight and six, I'm not going to respond to an email. I might get the notification, you know, and see it, but, but I really unless it's urgent. I think, yes, it's, it's one of those things where it's hard because you negotiate that with your team, with your employers. And obviously there's situations where those boundaries have to be flexed or stretched. I know Lindsay and I are in the middle of doing some focus groups with a client out in California. Uh, so we are having to do a lot of late nights and early mornings outside of our normal hours from our own living spaces. And again, I think having that ability to kind of decompress and kind of put things into their own spaces, I think this is kind of a natural human trait. I mean, if you look in, for example, anthropology of houses or spaces, different people, different cultures across the world, there are certain things that you do in a certain room of your house. Your kitchen is for eating and it's for cooking. It's for gathering, but it's not for sleeping, right? Your bedroom is maybe, I, I refuse to eat in my bedroom, for example. Things like that. And it sounds really silly, and really banal, but there is a there's something within us, within how our our social interactions with each other uh, and with the world around us are structured. That actually it works really well if things have their own space. The commute was a blessing, as awful as it is, because it gave us that spatial time separation. Yes. Right. If if and and I see this actually with a lot of friends and a lot of colleagues. Actually, you know, if you log off at five 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 thirty six. And then you're eating dinner at the same table, same chair in 15 minutes. You don't have that time to decompress. But actually, um, you know, maybe it's going for a walk for 15 minutes or, you know, it is that commute. Or mm-hmm. I have this really strict, I, I always change into house clothes after work. Yeah. Right. As, as kind of a signifier and that an active physical boundary. I know it sounds really silly, but if you think about it, it's kind of this performative thing that says, okay, I'm now in home mode, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm not in I'm work I'm so mode impressed anymore. that you take the time to put on work clothes in the first place. I'm just pajamas 24-7. <laughs> I, I feel like I have to, you know, put up something here, Lindsay, talking about on-stage, off-stage personalities again. <laughs> uh, I, I love that. I, and I love that that comfort level that you have. But I think, again, for me, it's something that it's it's a – yeah, I'm putting on my on-stage work personality when I when I put on a shirt and, you know, my, my some work trousers. And then when I take that off, it's kind of, you know, performing that off-stage. And again, is it massively helpful? Is it the biggest change in the world? No. Mm-hmm. But it's something that I think I signify this to myself and kind of say, okay, unless I get an urgent email from Lindsay or someone else, I'm off, you mm-hmm. know. I, t- I totally get that. And <laughs> um, I wondered if you'd seen any examples that can help us understand a real violation of psycho- psychological safety that kind of provokes drastic outcomes so that I can get my head more around the definition of it. I feel like there's a, there's a range. So I can give you something on the smaller end of the spectrum that's very like insidious, but 
there. And then I can give you like the, whoa, CEO is now in jail versions because there is a range, right? And it's not always like the big violation. It's sort of like the little things that creep up every day. So a few years ago, there was a woman named Susan Fowler who worked for Uber and she penned this like explosive blog post on Medium about like one very strange year at Uber. And she talked about all the ways she was sort of just left out or made to feel like women weren't important there because it was a very male dominated tech culture. And, you know, I lived in San Francisco at the time. So I saw, I saw the culture. It was all my clients. I understood it, but things like the men always pick the outing. So it's like boy stuff, or they pick um, like the jackets and there's none that fit women or they assume they're passed over for rules. So it's sort of this like, it's the little actions that people take around you that, that signify that, your voice doesn't matter mm-hmm. is violated. It's really violated. Or another example I have is there's a DNI practitioner that I was talking to. He's sort of a leader in the field of psychological safety. And he told me he once worked for a company where nobody would go on the 49th floor. So on the 49th floor was where the CEO sat, the executive, and that CEO had created such an atmosphere of fear that nobody wanted to go onto that floor. Jeez which is absurd. And of course he said, no, we're going to change the perception. We are going to like change the paint colors. We're going to add chairs. We're going to, you know, make this a collaborative spot and say, no, these doors are open. Mm. But that's the, like the very subtle ways that psychological safety filters through an organization and makes people self-edit. It makes people feel like they don't belong. And ultimately it means people don't speak up. Mm. The problems don't get serviced and then good employees leave. That's what happens. And what's interesting, what you said about, you know, people feeling like they can't speak up or that they don't belong. And and I think sometimes that can sound like a really soft thing. But we know that, like, people who belong in businesses drive immense innovation, business performance, and are high-performing teams, ultimately. And it sounds like something so soft, and perhaps that's why it's not talked about so much, but actually it can be feeling psychologically unsafe can do an awful lot to a workforce. So I guess on the flip side of that, when it's done really well, what does that look like, Alex? I think before I, w- I want to jump into that, you know, there's also, it's it's really a culture piece, mm-hmm. right? Because if you have a culture of fear or you have a culture where leaders feel inaccessible, mm-hmm. then, then that's that psychological or lack of psychological safety. People feel unsafe. Also love, um, just want to flag as well, just as an anthropologist, you know, it's not just about... Um, the work itself, but it's also about the relationships. But it's also about those small environmental material things, mm-hmm. right? Um, I know Ellie, you and I have been talking a lot just in other conversations about anthropology and work about the embodied angle, right? Mm-hmm. Our senses, it's it's everything. It's not just how we speak to each other or the messages we write on teams or the work we do. It's the whole experience, mm-hmm. right? I think that's also a really in- interesting thing to flag. When it's done well, I think people feel safe to speak up. They feel safe to say when something's not right. Lindsay, you mentioned some fantastic examples early on of saying, actually, I feel a little numb. I feel a little worn out. I'm feeling I'm not myself. I had I had another instance of that last week where I just had, had to tell my boss, I'm, I'm really not feeling like myself today. And, and I just need, I need some time to get perspective. I think this is something that a lot of people are feeling. But I, I think good psychological safety creates these environments where we're not afraid to say that. We're not afraid to say... 
especially for you and I, Lindsay, the stakes of being visa tied, the stakes of who I'm not afraid that I'm going to sack tomorrow and sent on the next flight home to America because actually I'm exhausted. I think psychological safety, when it's done well, people speak up. They don't complain about everything, but they know that they can they can speak up when something's wrong. And they're also willing to contribute, right? They're willing to share ideas. If creativity isn't flowing, if people don't want to share a new idea in your organization, it's probably a sign that actually people aren't feeling safe too. People also, I think, are more likely to self-correct and own up to mistakes in a very positive way in a psychological safe environment because they don't fear that, oh my God, I pointed out something I did wrong. They're able to say, oh guys, whoa, actually I did this and I probably shouldn't have because down the line it's going to be problematic. But instead Mm -hmm. of feeling like, oh, I need to cover it up or Mm -hmm. all the things you do that make a problem worse, Mm -hmm. they can just stop it at the point. And then I think to your point, Alex, about creativity, you know, creativity is sort of the driver of innovation, right? So I think psychologically safe environments are a place where innovation ultimately flows because teams are harnessing the powers of mm-hmm. diverse ideas because mm-hmm. those more diverse voices feel safe to to speak up and are, and are listened to. They're not dismissed. Mm-hmm. And, and I think as well, Lindsay, that it's a diversity, not just of your background, you know, in terms of a lot of the dimensions of diversity, but like sexuality or gender, mm-hmm. uh, your ethnic background, but also in terms of your skill set. I, I think, you know, for, for some disclosure and context for me, I left academia to join Scarlet Abbott right before the pandemic started mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of bring in a different perspective as an academic, but also as an anthropologist in, in, in this space. And I think, you know, it took me a while to kind of feel like, ooh, I do have a space here, you know, because mm-hmm. when you have such a different way of thinking that isn't necessarily, you haven't, and, and you haven't fully absorbed the processes of how things are done within an industry or a sector mm-hmm. or a company, mm-hmm. um, I think to have that sense of belonging and that inclusion and that psychological safety to, to still keep speaking up and still keep contributing ideas. I think mm-hmm. it's such an important thing. And, and, you know, we always say that you clients say all the time as well, that, you know, our people are our most important resource. And this is to me, this is this this theme, this topic is really where the rubber rubber meets the road with that. If you don't give people that sense of safety, allow them to speak up, allow them to feel like they belong and have something to contribute. So that, as Lindsay was saying, they they own their mistakes. They learn from their mistakes as well. If you're going to have a learning culture, you need psychological safety. I think if people if, if people really mean mean it when they say that mm. they they value their people, this is a must. It's not an option. It's not a nice to have. It's a must have. I, I want to pick up on two things that you guys have just said. So first of all, I mean your resilience during the pandemic, Alex, was incredible. You just kept bouncing back with so many different ideas and cool things that we could do when you were just you know force to be reckoned with so don't at all feel like you didn't contribute anything because you certainly absolutely did but secondarily I like I just picked up on a little kind of British American slight divide about being fired because for me it's very rare that I've heard of people getting fired in the UK and I know that's very very different it's employment law differences is what I've come to learn so in Mm. America it's very much at will you can be fired yeah really at will with no notice. And I have, let's just say I've done my research on visas and employment mm-hmm. law. And so I think the difference in perspective is in the UK, I've learned it is very, very, very difficult to let somebody go unless yes. it's for like gross misconduct, which 
again, I, I don't think Alex and I are in danger of that, but I think that's where the mindset comes from, Al, isn't so much cultural differences, but in the differences in our law. Yeah, that's also, well, where I was leading to with that is that I feel like being fired in America, because, because it happens more, is so much less stigmatized than it is in the UK. And, and, and if we're talking about psychological safety and speaking up about all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. it, it just... It really interests me how how we approach these things completely differently. So yeah, I just picked up on that when you both said it and thought, oh, that's so interesting. I, I think as well that, you know, when we think about psychological safety, that the consequences don't have to be as extreme as losing your job, right? Mm. It, it, it could be being passed up for promotion. Mm. It could be being excluded from different projects, different activities, um, some of which are social, some of which are also very, you know, work-related and especially progression-related. So I think... Um, there's there's a lot to that. I think definitely one of the big cultural differences I've noticed, I've been here for about 11 or 12 years, is that kind of, I guess that sense of shame, you know, mm. it's a lot more acute here yes. um, <laughs> than, than, than in the U.S. And are you saying us Americans are shameless? Uh, it, it, no. if, 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 if it can be relative, Lindsay, then, then relatively we are shameless compared to our... <laughs> Compared to our English friends and colleagues, I was just thinking how much shame I had <laughs> from, from childhood. It's um, it's Catholic guilt, I swear to God. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, like, I do want to ask, whose job is psych- psychological safety? Is it health and safety? Is it internal comms? Is it the job of everybody? Who owns it? So it is the job of everybody, but mm. where it technically lands is in a health and safety team's remit. So in fact, the psychological safety is so important that just this summer, the very first global standard for practical workplace guidance on kind of managing psychological health and safety in the workplace was actually developed. So it's called, um, for those of you taking notes, ISO 45003. It was just launched this summer. Uh, The British government had a big hand in it, and it supports the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And so from a where does it sit, like who is technically responsible for policies, policing, all of that, it is a health and safety team that makes the policies, but it's everybody that brings it to life, just like culture. Mm. Culture is all of us. It's all of our interactions. It's how we choose Mm. to interact with one another and, and be kind to one another. That's useful to know. I want to ask one last question, and I think it will be on every member of our audience's lips right now. And because we're all talking about hybrid or dynamic working and how that feels, I guess some people might be feeling left out of the loop compared to those who are physically present in the office, to those who are sort of semi-digital, to those who are totally online only. How can we really encourage psychological safety for this hybrid working world actually revisiting your last question to partly answer this one i think managers have a crucial role to play i 100 percent agree with lindsay it just like culture it's everyone's job i think leadership has extra responsibilities with it and i really actually would say that managers when they manage their teams have even more responsibility and and, and i hope you know organizations are equipping their managers giving them both the skills as well as the time and the space to do that because sometimes managers are so busy doing their own work, they don't have time to look after their teams. I think that they have such a key role to play because actually they're kind of that point of contact between their employees and themselves and other people around them and and that team, right? Mm -hmm. They set the dynamic, they set the tone. I I actually remember saying um, 
to, to my manager here at Scarlett Abbott, I, I thought one thing we do really well in our team is we, we spend a 15 minutes, 20 minutes a day doing a daily check-in. Partly it's work-related, you know, what flags, what issues uh, do you have, are there any concerns you have going into the day? But on the one hand, it actually gives us that time to form and continue to reform as a team. Um, it builds those relationships, and I think those relationships are pivotal to building culture as well as to fostering that sense of psychological safety. But it's also, it's a chance for us to see, you know, our manager share with us any key news, but also in terms of, um, you know, feedback that we've given or questions that, that we've had that he's had to take away. I actually think he's done a really good job with it. I think he does a lot, a good job with a lot of things. But I think this is one example where actually, you know, as we work in our, in our team, uh, we're working from home three days a week. We're working in the office two days a week. And I think that that sense that people have of being able to say, as, as I did last week, of actually, I'm not okay today, is, is massive. And so I think actually managers building in those touch points with their people, whether it's a daily team call, um, even if that daily team call is for no other reason than to say hello and to socialize for five minutes, mm. I think there's something about just, I, I, I have this kind of informal theory that when people do things alongside each other, they build trust in relationships over time. It's not just doing something face-to-face, like, you know, if we were having a conversation all, all the time, we'd get to know each other and we'd form, you know, a, a relationship through that. Mm-hmm. But there's a, we could also form a relationship watching something together, sure. right? You do that long enough with somebody, you start to feel comfortable with them, that you can have more of those face-to-face direct interactions. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's an example of how this works in practice in this context of actually having some of those side-to-side conversations that aren't really about anything mm. with people builds those relationships and it builds that trust and it builds that, hopefully builds that sense of safety. I think there has to be an intentional aspect to it. But in terms of building that sense of trust to speak up to someone about something vulnerable, mm. um, I think actually just spending time with those people can be a massive factor in it. And it goes back to one of my mantras that work is social. Mm. It's not just what we do or where we do it. It's also who we do it with. Really nice. Anything to add, Lindsay? Well, not when my colleague ends on that beautiful of a note. So <laughs> I think that's in the bag. It was beautiful. Well done, Alex. Thank you. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining me for World Changes. A fascinating conversation, as always. Thanks for having us, out. Cheers, team. Senior Internal Communications Manager Janet Lessels, psychological safety at work is essential for each and every member of the team at SGM. For those on the front line working to power the nation, feeling able to report issues is essential. I caught up with Janet to find out how her team is helping to create an open and supportive environment and how they bring everyone from engineers to customer service colleagues together. Janet, welcome to World Changes. Thank you very much, Shale. Lovely to speak to you. Oh, it's a joy to have you here. I mean, I do want to get the elephant out in the room because I sometimes think that the word psychological safety can be psychologically off-putting because it's so clunky. But please, let's start with what you think. Like, what is your interpretation of psychological safety at work? What does it actually mean for you personally? So for me, um, I think it's pretty simple, actually. It's being able to be yourself, really. Um, to feel comfortable 
um, in, in the workspace, bringing your ideas, sharing challenges, not being afraid to challenge others, actually, and to call out behaviours maybe that, that aren't in line with, you know, your company values or your personal values. Yes, I think that's basically it. I totally agree with you. And actually feeling safe enough to spout out what might be a stupid or maybe brilliant idea, depending on the way you look at it. There's nothing quite like it, is there? Because the, the kind of fear of getting poo-pooed by somebody versus the potential that it could have to be amazing if you if you got rid of that fear. I really like your interpretation. I think that's interesting. And I actually think the older you get sometimes, you know, they do say that once you hit 40, and I'm not telling anyone what my age is, but okay, it's, it's over 40. But I do think there's an element of... Yeah, you, feel, you feel a bit more relaxed about, about saying what you think. So maybe a younger me in the workspace wouldn't have felt as comfortable challenging, particularly senior people. Um, so with younger members of my team or younger people in the workforce, it's like, how do we give them that confidence to speak up and, and not be afraid and not, not fear retribution from saying things that they might not be too popular? Yeah, absolutely. And that can also come with things like neurodiversity, for example, you know, with people who have neurodivergent thinking and perhaps, you know, it's an automatic response to say exactly what they're thinking. But sometimes in the workplace, um, those boundaries can feel a bit icky, can't they, with some people? And it's um, it's important to just make it cool for everybody to to be able to speak up, right? I think it is. And what I've found so interesting is, you know, I think a lot of companies will say, like, for example, COVID-19, with us all, a lot of people working from home, and those of us that were able to, it it became such a leveller. So I found myself, you know, at the very beginning, obviously, as part of internal comms, you were right at the sort of coal face with changing our working practices, you know, adapting really quickly to this global pandemic. And I found myself in working groups with people from the business, very senior people that I maybe wouldn't have worked with before. And I couldn't count, you know, I don't have enough fingers to count the number of times that you, you had the, the decisions you had to make had to be so quick that you, you you couldn't let anything sort of potentially go down the wrong path. So you had to be able to speak up. You had to say, I, actually, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's the right decision. And the number of times, you know, it's quite common for me just to say in a meeting, I'm going to ask a really stupid question here. But you do know that the minute you ask it, you hear a sort of sigh of relief from, you know, quite a lot of other people thinking thank i'm so glad she asked that question because i don't know either (laughs) and that that sigh of relief in the room like that's all part of your culture as well isn't it so interesting Mm -hmm. thinking about i mean that's a great example right absolutely at the coal face of covid19 but i'm kind of thinking of your colleagues in a daily basis just even outside the constraints of the pandemic i guess like what are they really spending their time doing and therefore like why is it so important for psychological safety at sgm so as a gas network company safety is absolutely our number one priority we're dealing with a dangerous gas at the end of the day you know a lot of our employees like to think of ourselves as being the kind of fourth emergency service so if you have a gas escape somebody from sgn in our patch will be the person that knocks on your door to help you and to turn off the gas and make sure that you're you're safe. So it's all about keeping our customers safe and our community safe, but also very critically about keeping each other safe and our colleagues safe. To do that, we have to be prepared and, and confident to call out unsafe behaviours and unsafe practices. And sometimes that could mean for some of our guys challenging somebody more senior than them. So it's absolutely critical to our business and to the safety of our people that, that they are, they do feel safe to speak up. Would you be able to give me a good example of something where that where that's happened recently and you've gone, oh, that was great. And thank God we made that environment safe enough for people to do that. 
We've actually just had a safety campaign that ran recently. I think it's been another common factor since uh, the, the pandemic where a lot of organisations saw their safety performance dip slightly. So we had to ask ourselves, what is the reason for that? And we had to go out and ask our people, what did they think the reasons were for that? And a lot of it did come down to the sort of almost complacency and just, ta- you know, just, we're just fatigued. We're fatigued with COVID. And I think that can end up showing through just general fatigue and a bit of complacency. So we're doing a lot of work around that with safety campaigns and, and conversations with our people. But for example, if you're out on a site and you've got quite a tricky excavation to do and it's a very deep hole, there are so many different decisions that have to be made and so many processes that have to be followed to the letter. And if you see someone taking a shortcut or not wearing the correct PPE, you know, that's a potentially life-threatening situation. So we just have to make sure that somebody is going to say to their colleagues, stop, this is unsafe and it might take us longer, but that's the way it's got to be done. The, the procedures are there for a reason, so we have to follow them. Absolutely. It, really interesting, your point about fatigue. I think I felt it in myself. It's mm. not just everybody. Uh, it's not just me, but it, I think it's, it's everybody. There's something going on for me at the moment where I'm, I'm looking outside in the world and I'm thinking, when we were in the pandemic, we were really, really comfortable talking about mental health and Mm -hmm. the strain and how it felt and then we sort of come through that and we're sort of like getting to the point where everything's almost going back to normal and actually people have started talking a bit less about it and maybe maybe anxiety's dipped who knows maybe people are feeling better but I, I just wonder if we've sort of been on this bit of a curve where we were okay talking about it really okay because everyone's in the shared experience and now everyone's in a sort of different experience of the hybrid world Mm. and like where are we now with with all of that like where where is the openness and the frankness that we had before what I mean what's it like for you no I agree I think during the sort of peak of the pandemic when we were working from home you were you were all looking out for each other weren't you you had your sort of team building activities to make sure you're all kept connected and so it was really really important but now with a lot of organisations, you have some some parts of your um, workforce who are able to work as a hybrid model. And then you've got your colleagues out in the field who, for them, nothing's really changed, actually. You know, they, that they work out in the field. And we just have to be really careful that no matter what your role is and, and where you work from, that you're cared for equally. So it's about making everyone's work environment as comfortable as possible for them. Um, so for me, you know, I'm, I'm lucky, I'm very fortunate that I can work in a hybrid model, but I think this is a whole new thing. This is not going to be the same as it was pre-COVID. It's ne- so we've all got to adjust to, and I hate using this phrase, but this sort of new normal. And it's going to take a bit of getting used to, I think, actually. I agree. And... I think psychological safety comes right into that because it's actually making it okay for people to say, I'm just zapped, I'm absolutely zapped. It's been a heck of a two years and um, we're coming out the other side, but I'm not at my best brain capacity at the moment. It's a nerve-wracking thing to open up and say that to somebody, but I personally feel like honesty is the best policy with your colleagues. They can see right through you anyway. They can certainly see through me if I'm having a tough day. (laughs) I just think it's so important. But I mean, what do you think will like really turn the tide and and make it okay for people to open up and feel psychologically safe? I think it's, we just have to keep talking. We have to keep caring for each other. Actually, we have to have very honest conversations. We have to have our leaders joining in conversations that are going on. We, I think, 
you know, we've got lots of different support channels within our organisation, whether that's mental health supporters, there's a there's a um, Safe to Speak Up Insight Action Group, we've got employee assistance programmes, so we've got lots of brilliant support channels there and it's just making sure as an internal comms team as well that we are all, we're promoting those as much as we can because you might publish an article on your employee app that doesn't immediately shout you need to tag some support lines at the bottom of this but actually when you really think about it, it it might so it's making sure that everyone's constantly aware of the help and support that's there because as you referred to earlier when we were in the thick of the pandemic we spoke about that stuff all the time but actually now we're moving people back into offices COVID's not gone away and some people are still very very anxious about it and afraid so it's probably just as important if not more to make sure that people are aware of the help that they can get. I think so too and and I think the role of IC can really help line managers with those conversations as well and understand that it's not just it's not just over just because we've said that we don't have to wear masks and stuff anymore like that that psychological safety let's not go back on that because that was really powerful despite it being a, a wholly negative and chronically stressful situation the power of one team during that time was incredible and unlocked amazing things for lots of workforces, I'd suggest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely has. And I think with SGN as well, though, we've taken a really cautious approach in the kind of return to work period because obviously winter's coming there's a lot of unknowns with that so actually we're not operating at a full capacity we're only operating at half capacity um, in all our office buildings we're still all wearing masks whether that's Scotland or Southern as well so yeah we have taken a really cautious approach and actually I think that will pay off potentially in the next couple of months so we'll wait and see what happens. It's so interesting catching up with you on this I mean I do ask all of my guests this question, so I'm, I'm really, really excited about your answer because every single person has said someone different to me so far. Let's, let's see if we can beat it. So thinking about the people making the biggest impact in the world work right now, like who would you nominate as your 2021 world changer? I tell you, somebody I really, really admire right now and have done throughout the pandemic is Marcus Rashford, the footballer. I mean, he is, he's so young, is he, he's 23 or something. He's, he's using his position to influence all these social you know these social issues whether it's racism child poverty he's just been awarded an MBE but I think what an absolute amazing role model for well everyone but particularly younger people who will be probably his most avid followers and but I just actually read I think it was this week that the way that he uses his social channels, like his social media channels, is going to become part of the GCSE curriculum because they want to show school kids and students that you can use those your social media channels to really positively influence on the things that you really believe in I think that's absolutely fantastic and I hope that we see a lot more of that and actually I think there's a lot more to come from him as well and yeah I just really admire him I think it's brilliant I'm such a fan and I, I did not know that about the GCSE thing but I just genuinely think that you know with, with everything that we've got to go through in the next few years, like Gen Z are the generation that will get us out of this, I'm absolutely sure. And there is so much pressure on that generation, particularly at that young age, you know, that kind of like teen peer pressure time. We all felt it at the time. And in a social media world, I guess never has it been more overwhelming for them. And actually 
finding out and learning from people who are just such a positive influence for world change and good. I just think that's incredible teaching. Fantastic. Mm, It really is. It's brilliant. Thank you so much for this conversation. I've really enjoyed catching up with you and um, we'll catch up soon. Oh, thanks so much, Shale. It's been lovely talking to you. Our huge thanks to our contributors. If this episode raised a few safety questions for you, do come and chat to us over on Twitter at Scarlet Abbott or drop us an email at hello at scarletabbots.co.uk. We'll see you next time for another dive into World Changers 2021. World Changers is a podcast by employee engagement consultancy Scarlet Abbott, hosted by L. Bradley Cox. Find out more at scarletabbott.co.uk.